Welcome to Ghosts of Northern Michigan's Past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble, and on this episode, we'll be sharing more ghostly tales about Michigan's world-famous Mackinac Island. For over 120 years, Mackinac Island, located in the blue waters of the Straits of Mackinac that divide Michigan's two peninsulas, has been one of the state's top tourist destinations, embedding literally millions of visitors with lifelong memories of their visits over the years. However, after the smells of horses and fudge finally fade into time, the island continues to record its own memories, along with the memories of the trauma, violence, war, and death it has stood witness to for countless years past. Mackinac Island is an ancient Native American burial ground, large portions of which were simply built over to accommodate tourism. And the battle scars suffered both in and around the Revolution-era fortress are just two factors that contribute to the significant amount of paranormal energy that shrouds the island to this day. So much energy, in fact, that Mackinac Island is considered one of the most haunted locales in the U.S. Joining us today is another one of Michigan's most famous institutions, Peter Kehoe. <laughs> Welcome, Pete. Thanks, Chris. How's that? I'm glad to be here. <laughs> glad to have you, man. Especially, this is the peak season for you right now. Peak season, absolutely. And Mackinac is as nuts as it ever is right now. Absolutely. Now, you, you've been on one of my ghost tours before, and I know I'd like to try to keep it real. Yes. Actually, we we were just with some friends that accompanied us on that particular one, and we were talking about how we need to do it again. We just had so much fun. It was funny because uh, you and I share a mutual anonymous friend, uh, Jason Septic, and at one, <laughs> at one point he actually told you a story that you brought up that night that happened to me at City Park Grill. So that was kind of uh, fortuitous that you oh. brought that story about the, the crazy swinging chandelier incident. Uh, oh, yeah, that's back. right. That's right. I'm one of many people that have experienced that phenomenon. We talked about that on a, on a previous episode here. Yeah. I'm guessing in a thousand years, Pete, uh, there's still going to be energies and roaming ghosts from your years on the island. Oh, boy. There's a lot of vibey places on that island. Yeah. A lot. The basement of the Island House Hotel. Have you ever heard any stories about that place? That's what I've missed. Ooh. That's uh, a guy hung himself. Uh, and supposedly his ghost is there. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff on the island. Well, I know one that you're going to be really, really familiar with is uh, all the history around Mission Point Resort located on the island's east side. Uh, it's been a hotspot of paranormal activity for a long time. Uh, originally founded in 1827 as a missionary school for children of mixed Native American and European descent, the site has transitioned several times over the following years. In 1966, the area was the location of the ill-fated Mackinac College before being purchased by the televangelist Rex Humbard, which cracks me up, in 1970. <laughs> Two years later, the property again was sold after Humbard's intentions of creating an upscale religious retreat was abandoned, and the grounds were developed as a vacation resort. 1987, the property changed hands yet again and became, as we know it, Mission Point Resort. And like I mentioned, Pete, this is a place you know well after spending many a night there as the, the resort's resident musician. Yeah, let's see. I was there in 93 and 94 with our mutual friend also, Ricky Nellett. <laughs> uh, we were the house entertainers there those two years. And he was there before that. I forget what year he started. It was... Not too long after uh, Schufelt spot it, uh, and, and it became Mission Point Resort. So that would have been like 80, late 80s sometime. Mm -hmm. It's said that one of the main entities connected with the resort is that of a young man that committed suicide after he was rejected by his love. Ed, any truth to that story? Have you, did you ever hear that when you were... Well, I, I didn't hear that particular story until after I had already kind of had my experience with the place. Um, uh, there's another one about a little girl as well, and I don't know, I, I really don't have much information on on her but yes i found out about the uh the kid who committed suicide and i think that was in the 60s right 67 or something do you think there's any real documentation kind of uh supporting that i mean it's it's, it's kind of one of the biggest stories that you hear about with mission point 
Especially if you go online, it's like all over the place about this kid. He's seen on the cliffs. He's seen There is some around. kind of documentation. I think he's buried in the island cemetery also. I think he's buried on the island. Um, it's nowhere near Mission Point, but, you know. Mm, um, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right. But there is some kind of uh, corroboration for that story, yes. All right. Uh, he's said to be mischievous, enjoys playing pranks, rearranging personal items, and uh, even furniture, which reminds me of a story you told me a few years back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was... Uh, you know that's a really big property, and a lot of you know a lot of huge buildings. Um, like when Rex Humbard owned it, he built a, a soundstage. I mean, it is Hollywood size, and you know at the time it was state of the art soundstage, man, with light, big Klieg lights and you know the whole ball of wax and soundproof. Where I lived, uh, they put all the management and they put the two of us, uh, Ricky and I. In the far end of the furthest building on the property, which they used to call Mission Court, and it's now they remodeled it, and now it's all hotel rooms, and um, uh, it was partially hotel rooms back then, but they put a lot of management in that building. And literally, it was the furthest point from where I was working in the Round Island Bar and Grill. Uh, and in the late season, there's October, there's not a whole lot of people around. I would usually try to you know i wouldn't take a jacket but by the end of the night 11 o'clock or whatever it would be cold and so i would try to zip in zip through these buildings to stay warm especially if it was raining or something like that and um so i was in that particular building and i started at one end and i was making my way through the other now mind you this is like probably a week before we close there's nobody in house it's like the shining it's really like the shining Okay. I, I love that time of the year. I know exactly what you say. The island's got a creepy vibe that time of the year. Oh, yeah. And I love the weather that time of year, and there's very few people. And, you know, a lot of nights we would get out early. But um, So I got out, and um, I uh, made my way through past the theater, past the soundstage, and around the walkway, and into the very end of this building. And on, I lived on the second floor, room 2181, as a matter of fact. Nowhere near the room, though, that has the most paranormal activity, from what I understand. That one is, it's on the same floor, but it's in the middle section of the building, where it's, uh, it's a little bit further. But um, I also had my three kids with me uh, during the summer. Just ba- I'm backpedaling a little bit, but they would tell me about hearing stuff. My daughters would complain about hearing voices and, and things m- moving in the night, and I just, you know, kind of whatever pshaw you know you're just uh, you're imagining things so anyway this night i'm walking back they had a little library section in the middle of each wing there was a great room in the middle of the building and then two wings off to the side and in each of those wings on the second floor they had this little alcove kind of area and they had like reading lamps and chairs and a couple of desks and it was like a mini library and they had these books uh that were very low like, I was walking past, and of course, it's always creepy when there's nobody in the building but you. Ricky wasn't there. He was out of town. I was doing the gig that night. I think he was down in Lansing. So, like, there was nobody in our end of the building uh, and very few management, you know. Um, And I walked past a bookcase, and this is like 1230. And, you know, I probably had two drinks in me. I mean, nothing major. and, um, And I hear this thump behind me, and I stopped. And I looked behind me, and there had... There was a book in the middle of the hallway that I had just walked past in the middle. Like, it had obviously moved, and I heard it. I didn't see it move, but I heard it, and there was a thump, and I didn't step over it. It wasn't in the walkway when I walked over there. 
So that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Not and that experience that now. You're in the building by yourself pretty much. 12.30, there's nobody. Anybody who's in management is already asleep or they're watching a movie or something in the room. Uh, it was it was really creepy. Was there, was there a time where some furniture moved to? Do you, do you remember something happened like that? With that, the- that was actually a story that was told to me by one of the Bellmen. I got to know all the Bellmen. They would help me move equipment. I still keep in touch with a, a lot of those guys, actually. Um, my friend Thad told me uh, one night he was moving in somebody. You know, it was like a late arrival or something the luggage got delayed or something and it was it was after dark this great room like i was telling you in the it was called johnson hall and it was in the middle of the building and it was this enormous fireplace and this huge it's like something out of you know citizen kane right big portrait of this guy whoever johnson was right had something to do with the college i believe and there were they they used to serve a continental breakfast in the, the center room there and they had probably eight tables with eight chairs around them you know for people to have their breakfast and um and occasionally they would uh you know have like a banquet in there or something or have a wedding in that room if in case of inclement weather if somebody was getting married on the lawn they would move them into that building you know so anyway thad went by one night had a cart cart full of luggage dumped it off literally two minutes later came back and every single chair was on top of the tables like and it would have been physically impossible for even like six guys to have done that in the time that it took him to drop off his luggage and get back. And he said that really flipped him out, too. And those guys would tell me about stories about hearing all kinds of stuff all times of day and night. Like, even in broad daylight, you know, stuff happening. You know, stuff moving by itself. You know, That's, that's the fun part of the island, again, is, you know, you hear all these stories. Most of the stories come from the workers that are there after hours, um, or late season. Uh, I've heard so many myself just being a visitor up there periodically, but you, after spending so many years, again, you guys must have shared these stories kind of probably after a couple of beers. And- oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, many more stories like that. Flower vases moving. What are, what are some of the other hot spots you heard about on the island over the years? Like, were there, like, certain places that seemed, you know, more stories? Uh, there's, uh, there's quite a few. Um, uh, actually, right next to Mission Point, it is the very last building before you go up the east side of the island by Arch Rock. It's called Small Point, and it's a little bed and breakfast. Now, its proximity to, to Mission Point leads me to believe that maybe it might be the same entity or entities, you know, because it's so small. But it's like a Victorian little bed and breakfast. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know uh, who Suzanne Jiha is. She was on Channel 8 uh, television uh, newscaster in Grand Rapids, Wood TV, for a long time. Okay. She came up and did a little thing on Haunted Mackinac. She stayed in Small Point. And got really freaked out to the point where she like left in the middle of the night and went and got a room someplace else. Not an uncommon occurrence on the island when, I, when I'm no. told. The island house also, th- there was a guy that hanged himself in the basement. And uh, I actually had met the lady who found him. Um, Ooh. She, yeah. And, but there's uh, sightings there. Um, where, so that's when else? it's documented. Absolutely documented. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, that would have been back in the 90s also, or maybe the 80s, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, the, um, the Island House is actually one of the oldest hotels on the island, as yeah, far as like, you know, the large. or something like that. Yeah, we're going back in time, man. Yeah, man. Not somewhere in time, but back in time. Yes. So, uh, as far as the, the buildings downtown, um, I don't know of anything like, you know, in the actual downtown area. But I've also heard of one of the houses up on the West Bluff, too. It's the old Soapy Williams uh, yes, Soapy Williams house, uh, which is a, like a beautiful mansion on the West Bluff next to the Grand. Uh, that one supposedly has 
And all of these are kind of benevolent spirits. They're just, you know, I, from what I understand, they just like to mess with people. The ghost hunters guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that I actually was on along with a lot of other people about the Mission Point thing. Um, they had some good uh, some good stuff, you know, turning on light switches and like a razor turning itself on. And that was all documented on camera, you know. One of the buildings that gets uh, mentioned in a lot of stories and, and books about the, the hauntings on Mackinac Island is Pine Cottage. So it's like a free two-room cottage right downtown. Oh, yeah. I've stayed there. Yeah, yeah me too. And supposedly there was a murder that took place there. And, and uh, again, you always hear these stories, um, an unsolved murder actually going back. But it's funny because I was up there early season, May. I like going up in the off seasons. Me too. It's the best time of the year up there. And uh, I kind of stuck my head in Pine Cottage. I wanted to stay there for the for the evening, and I'm walking around. There's nobody there, but you could tell, you know, like the building's open, obviously. And I'm, I'm kind of roaming around, and this woman comes out and sc- actually scared the hell out of me because I wasn't expecting her to come around. I'd been like five minutes in the building without anybody there. And uh, I, uh, she said that they had not opened up yet for the season, and, and so there was not going to be you know, any rooms available that night. But she did agree to give me a tour of the building. I'd always wanted to see the building anyways. And as we're kind of walking around, I said, you know, is the place haunted? And she kind of laughed about that, and... And then she said, you know, I just, I just spent the whole winter here. I'm sure I would know, and I've owned it for years. And uh, so she, instead of staying up at the village, you know, where all the, all the locals stay over the winter, she decided to stay in this creepy old, you know, bed and breakfast, 42 rooms, and she's probably 80 years old or something. And then uh, we must have developed some kind of a rapport because by the end of the tour, she goes, well, you know, it is actually haunted. And I'm like, okay. And uh, she kind of said it out of the blue, as a matter of fact. And she said as she was staying there that winter, uh, she was sleeping in one of the bedrooms upstairs, and she woke up one night, and the bed was shaking so violently, she literally thought the island was falling into the lake. So she calls her son about 3 in the morning, hysterical, and he's like, you know, Mom, you know, you know the history of the building. Just, in, you know, just, just go stay across the street with your friend. I think her name was Lily or something, but I remember she told me that she, uh, she was, that, that was like the end of the, of the season for her, <laughs> the off season. She, she moved across the street and spent the rest of the, the spring with her, with her friend looking back over at her cottage, uh, too, too kind of spooked out to, to go back. That's, that's, uh, I think that used to be a boarding house uh, back in the day, I believe. And I remember hearing something about the murder there. There's also another one down by, uh, on Main Street, actually, uh, next to the Harborview Hotel, which is right down the alley, practically, from Pine Cottage. And it used to be called LaChance Cottage, uh, and the Harborview bought it several years ago, and they kind of turned it into an adjunct. Uh, but uh, Brian Bloswick's family used to own that, and that was uh, they used he used to run that and used to have a little barbecue out front. I don't know if you remember that I Brian's do. barbecue. Yep, uh, really good barbecue too, actually. Um, but he used to talk about it being haunted uh, when you know when he lived there. I mean, that was like his house. That was his family's house, and then they had extra rooms, kind of like European style, like a pension or you know something like that. And uh, he used to talk about that house also having some. Some activity. So, <laughs> I have a friend in town here. Um, her and her husband grew up on the island. They, they they were there since they were one year old. In fact, her grandmother used to live in the fort hospital. Like she oh, like wow. literally lived there when she was a little girl. Grew up in the fort, which I mean, you know, obviously there's all kinds of energy and uh, reports of stuff going on in the fort. But um, she told me several stories, just weird things that happened when they were kids. You know, they'd always pick a building and not necessarily break in, but take advantage of the fact that no one was there for months and. Oh yeah, parties go on and stuff like that. And she said, "Man, it was like those. It was like almost like clockwork. You know, um, uh, things would start happening, unexplained little things. You know, even when you're kind of boozed up a little bit, but things that they they would all notice and just kind of blow it off because obviously you're stuck on the island for the rest of uh, you know the rest of the year. Um, but the story that really got me, and I think it's one of my favorite ghost stories about Mackinac Island, 
and this just happened, um, let's say maybe five years ago. So she's a, she's a physician's assistant now, but she was up helping a friend who had passed away. The family uh, had her come up to watch the fudge store. Uh, she had worked there as a young girl, and they trusted her to kind of oversee the, the business for the summer. So she you know, gave up her job here in, in Petoskey as a PA, went up there and helped out for the season. And again, she spent countless, countless uh, you know, summers up there growing up. This particular day, uh, like you said, things can happen in the middle of the afternoon, just as likely as at night. And she saw a taxi come in, and they had just come back from British Landing. And as soon as the taxi stops in front of the depot there where you buy your tickets, she said everybody was just hysterical. I mean, people were like scattering off the taxi, like 17, 18 people. They're running back to their hotel rooms. The taxi driver gets up, walks over, quits his job, literally loads up, and he's standing down waiting for the, for the next boat. So she's like, you know, what's going on? She's watching this go on for like 5, 10, 15 minutes now. These people are obviously quite, quite excited over what had just you know, transpired. So she started asking them, what, you know, what, what happened? So they're coming back from British Point, and it's, uh, they're like right in the middle of the, of the island now, and they see this little girl walking down the path. So now we're back to this little girl you've mentioned before who gets seen all around the island. As they pull up next to her, they figure it's some you know, little girl that's kind of got lost from you know, one of the cottages there. So they slow down, and the girl turns and looks at the group, and she's dressed in a white Victorian dress, got a smile on her face, but she's completely eyeless, just two empty sockets. Mm. So the driver's like, you know, come on, let's get this horse. Let's get these horses going. And they literally, you know, race back into town. And the whole while she followed the group, like, like, like the three miles, you know, or two, mi- two miles, you know. British Landing is three miles. Three, three miles. I mean, the whole time. And of course, those horses don't go very fast. So, like, these people are just getting more and more excited as this goes oh on. Oh, my God. So enough to make them, you know, obviously load up. And that was it for the, for the vacation. And this was like five years ago, you it's said? It's like five years ago. You know? Wow. That's creepy. She had stories about the Grand Hotel. They'd go up there on medical calls. Oh, she, yeah. she said, I know, the ho- I know the hotel like the back of my hand. So she was working as an EMT. Get disoriented, go downstairs, get, get some piece of equipment for the room that she was treating somebody in, come up and not be able to find the room again. Looking all around, um, she's like, I, I, just, I had just been on the third floor room, whatever, whatever. It was on the left-hand side, and now I'm kind of spun around, and I'm on the right-hand side. She said it was really just like these quick moments of disorientation. Wow. But, um, you know, again, for her to be uh, so worked up by that particular story, she said it was, uh, probably, it was probably for her one of the most monumental ones that she had heard over her years on the island, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. At the Grand Hotel, boy, and I, that's a whole other bag of tricks, too, uh, from what yeah. I understand. I actually know the general manager, John Hewlett, and I bet he'd be a good guy to talk to at some point. Um, he's, I mean, he's been working for the Grand off and on for like probably 30 years. There's a, there's a guy at the dam site in that used to work up there quite a bit, and he was one of the winter caretakers. So he'd have to go and check all the different various parts of the, of the hotel. It's a big, vast building. If anybody's ever seen it, obviously it's a very large building. But he would take his dog in there with him, and he had to walk to different points of the, of the hotel, and you'd have to like, like key in so they knew you were actually checking those parts of the hotel. Oh, right. Now we're back to The Shining again, you know, Jack Torrance uh, slipping around through the hotel there. But his dog just refused to absolutely follow him in certain sections of the hotel. And oh, I really wow. believe animals have a, have a little sixth sense that we don't, we don't pick up on. I know some people also, back to what you were talking about, uh, empty buildings and, you know, not really, kids not breaking and entering, but just, you know, harmless fun kind of thing. Oh, this door's open? Yep. You know, let's go in, you know. Uh, before Mission Point, in between when it was the Mackinac Hotel and then it became Mission Point, uh, the, the, the property was empty, basically, and... Just furniture stuffed in rooms and whatnot. And there were a couple of entry pl- places. And I knew a girl who worked there, actually, a musician friend of mine. She's out in L.A. now. Who She played piano when they had a piano at the Old Pink Pony. 
and this is back in the 80s, and um, she used to tell stories of, like, going up early season or in the late season when that building was shut up for, like, several years and getting entry, you know, through one of one of the doors or one of the windows or something like that, but exploring it and, and hearing things and having that ominous feeling of, you know, something there's some somebody here with me kind of thing. Some unseen sentinel of the building, for sure. Yes. You know, it's not just Mackinac Island. It, it tends to be like that whole region. Obviously, it goes back to the 1630s. The French voyageurs are coming through. You've got the French. You've got the British. You've got uh, the Americans. Um, uh, wars going on in 1812, the, um, the two battles that were fought up there. But it's funny because this girl in, in uh, Detroit that I used to work with in the jewelry industry, the last person I would absolutely expect to tell me a ghost story, and her name was Crystal, and we're sitting there talking one afternoon, and her family used to summer in St. Ignace. And when she was a little girl, she would constantly wake up telling her mom that she had just watched troops of British soldiers walking past her bedroom window just as the sun was coming up. And it was like, it was like clockwork, like every single day this poor girl was, was wow. experiencing this. And her parents just did not believe her. The first time she told me the story, I abs- abs- just knowing her, I absolutely took it as, uh, as gospel. Wow. Well, like I often say, you don't have to believe in ghosts or the paranormal to feel the weight of history especially when you're someplace that has such a significant past as Mackinac Island. A special thanks to Pete Kehoe for joining us in the middle of this busy season here and sharing his stories. I'm your host, Christopher Struble, inviting you to join us next time for more tales of Michigan's paranormal locales on Ghosts of Northern Michigan's Past.